Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast. This is Chief Investment Officer of the Bonson Group, David Bonson. And we are coming to you today with a rather extraordinary development in the markets. And we want to unpack it for you and have a little conversation about the actual real-life practical implications to American investors on what it is that is really going on over in Italy. And so it's a conversation that we uh, have not had to have for a little while from 2010 to 2015, 16. I'm going to guess in that six or seven year period, there were no less than a half a dozen times that uh, all, you know what, had broken loose and, and, and whether it was summer of 2011, where it was actually pretty substantial and lasted, uh, you know, over a month, or there were other little incidents that you think of the couple days after Brexit that lasted just a couple of days. So we've had these little market disruptions that have been driven around disruptions in Europe. And I wanna talk about it today, but first let me let me give you a little context here, what you're listening to, who we are, what's going on. So Advice and Insights, a weekly podcast presented by the Bonson Group. And we are attempting week by week to take a particular topic, do a deep dive, usually this kind of singular topic and and go into it and, and provide not only our fresh Bonson Group perspective, often very contrarian to what street level consensus may be. And, and uh, on occasion, bring in different special guests, talk about um, a, a particular asset class with one of the money managers we work with in that asset class. Last week's podcast was one of the truly memorable events I've had where got, I got to interview Ron Barron of the Barron Growth Fund, the, the small cap manager that we've worked with now for several years and is a significant partner with us in, in asset management in that particular asset class. We got to kind of talk to Ron about his 30 plus years of experience and, and what he has developed in by way of philosophy around the, the growth uh, equity investing world. And, and other uh, podcasts oh, this year have included uh, Peter Newell from Vulnerable Asset Management, our emerging markets uh, partner. Um, we've brought on people from our own team, Kimberly Davis, my partner at the Bonson Group, talked about her efforts with the Fiscal Feminist, and you can learn more about that at FiscalFeminist.com. Um, I've brought on uh, Brian Seitel, Dea Pernas, other uh, people at the Bonson Group, talking about what they do on our team and their particular specialization and, and contribution to the wealth management services that we offer our clientele at the Bonson Group. And so whether it be an asset manager or a team member, or like this week, just uh, yours truly coming to you solo, I know that's probably the last thing you want, but but uh, that's what the intent of this advice and insights is. We do uh, hope that you will subscribe, receive it week by week, uh, write a review for us, forward it to friends, things like that, so we can 
build up that traffic and and make all this worthwhile. We also do another podcast called Dividend Cafe. That's a shorter one. We aim for that to be about 10 minutes every Friday. It often ends up being closer to 12, 14, 16 minutes, but you know, I'm a pretty long-winded guy, case in point right now. Um, And that is a simple regurgitation of our weekly sentiments, perspective, thoughts, blending some things that are very ad hoc to the week in question with other things that are more timeless, more evergreen to one's philosophy and understanding as an investor. And and it uh, leans heavily on the weekly writing that I've done every single Friday now for 10 years at DividendCafe.com. So whether uh, it be a weekly dive like what you're listening to now with advice and insights or, or more weekly material uh, overview, capital markets, investment philosophy, dividend growth, things like that that are near and dear to our heart, then, um, then uh, it effectively um, that's domiciled at DividendCafe.com. So let's talk um, market this week. So here we are. Markets, as I'm recording... Uh, it's Wednesday afternoon. Market was closed Monday for Memorial Day. Today we're up 300 points. Yesterday we were we were down a little. We were down over 300, but basically now today made the lion's share of yesterday's loss back. So you had a big big drop yesterday, and then a big rally up today. And the the genesis of yesterday's turmoil was uh, political events in Italy over the weekend. Basically, it's a parliamentary form of government. You have a president in in Italy. And for uh, my vast amount of Italian listeners, please forgive me if I mispronounce the last name, but President Sergio Mattarella, um, who uh, is essentially in a very difficult position politically because the leading parties in their parliamentary form of government are the very populist anti-establishment left-wing group, the Five Star Movement, and the very populist anti-establishment but right-wing group, the what's called the League Party. The two of them together, although there are certain issues where they're vastly different, have significant overlap in being highly Euro-skeptical. They um, basically uh, own over 50% of the parliament. They have control of over 50% of parliament now as a result of last elections. And yet you have a very establishmentarian president who's at tremendous ideological and political odds with the both of these disparate uh, groups in his own parliament. So uh, we, we I think those paying attention uh, have realized it was going to be very tricky politically but now we've seen how this trickery is manifesting itself in Italy over the weekend in that they, these two parties had nominated um, their choice for the uh, position of economy minister. Think of it loosely kind of as like a treasury secretary in the United States. And this particular person happens to be a big outspoken critic of the euro currency. Well, the president vetoed their selection. He then made a replacement nomination, as he's entitled to do, who was himself a longtime official at the uh, IMF, the International Monetary Fund. So it doesn't get a whole lot more establishmentarian, pro-Euro, pro-Brussels, pro-European Union 
than this, and it was a non-starter as far as these other parliamentary groups were considered, and they rejected his choice. So as things stand now, they're supposed to have a new vote in July, but they can negotiate, try to work something out. But, you know, they they leave themselves exposed to another highly politically relevant uh, election. And these little patches of elections, just they can't really resolve something, so they call a special election, and they, they've done it in Greece, and they've done it in England, and they've done it, and sometimes it's binding, and sometimes it's not. And it has the automatic effect of obviously enhancing volatility in the market because it, it invites certain areas of greater uh, uh, uncertainty and greater skepticism, greater concern. Um, but then it, it also um, leads those to kind of wonder not just the short-term greater uncertainty and unknowability, but will there actually be some sort of longer-term standing consequences that are a bit more unfortunate? And and or or fortunate. I mean, regardless, uh, uh, the fortunate versus unfortunate thing, I guess, depends on one's perspective. But it does invite the kind of questions around how some of these things will play out. So, in in the aftermath of this kind of political, you know, uh, drama, the euro dropped yesterday less than one percent. So it wasn't like you had the significant move. In, in currency, it was kind of a non-event. Um, I mean, it was a, a small move, but it really was not anything worth getting wrapped up uh, around. And, and in fact, um, I would think that you will find uh, the euro uh, potentially um, wanting to drop uh, as if indeed the well let me hold that thought I'm going to explain a sort of central banking monetary policy ramification in a moment so hold that thought but uh, bond yields did blow out higher now I got to make two comments on this the Italian two year treasury flew up to about 2.75% and just a couple weeks ago it was at roughly 0.6.7% so certainly that's a big move, but let's not forget it was at eight percent five years ago. Uh, what happened is it was pricing in the Armageddon of a country that was facing potential default and a hundred and thirty-five percent debt to GDP. And then when we talk about it being at a negative yield or a zero percent yield or even a couple of weeks a point you know five point six percent yield. That's a byproduct of the well, well, well over a trillion dollar, a trillion euros of monetary stimulus that the uh, uh, Central Bank of Europe uh, and Mario Draghi have brought to the table. So they've successfully compressed those bond yields out of their bond purchase program, which here in the United States we called quantitative easing for many years. Um, and, and so the consequence of these yields blowing out in Italy, which is a sign of kind of, you know, dysfunction or disruption and, and concern in Italy. But what I, I, I mean, was it really a, a, a sign of major disruption when you're talking about bond yield going to something with a, you know, with a two handle? Um, it was a big move from where it was, but it was not the kind of move that said really cats and dogs were about to start raining from heaven. What it did do is take a whole lot of capital out of European bonds and into U.S. bonds, pushing those yields lower, 
A lot of money stayed in the continent and moved into Germany, causing a massive rally in German bonds. And those who had been short uh, German bonds um, were, were pummeled um, as a result. Um, but the U.S. Uh, then saw their tenure, which for those of you who don't know, had been well in at the 3.1% range. And, and then now um, came all the way into about the 2.75%. So you had a pretty significant move um, uh, for up for prices of the U.S. bonds and down for those yields, uh, meaning that actually a stock and bond diversified investor on the day of this 400-point down day in markets actually benefited from asset allocation. It's been a theme of ours this year that asset allocation wasn't doing a lot to diversify based on inflationary or higher yield pressures. But actually, in this case, when it was sort of a risk-off day, uh, bond prices moved higher and definitely helped to buffer that kind of downside volatility. But I, I think the comments that I want to make by way of our insights, if you will, and then I'll give some of the advice to kind of reverse the, the, the vernacular of our title of this podcast, by way of insights, I would say this. I don't believe, and I don't know anyone who believes, that the immediate aftermath of this particular drama in Italy is going to be Italy's departure from the euro currency. I, I, you can't say it can't happen. You can't say it won't happen. And in fact, if we're talking long term enough, I have a very high conviction that one day it will happen, meaning one day the euro as a currency will indeed fail. I, don't, I believe it's a failed experiment. I think it is not the right thing for sovereign nations in the continent of Europe who want to trade with each other, who want to be at peace with one another, all things that obviously we would, any sane person would support. But um, the notion of having a shared monetary union without a shared fiscal union, without a shared banking system, with different sovereign needs, preferences, traditions, cultures, economies, strengths, weaknesses, there's so many differentiators country to country in Europe that the limitations forced upon them by having a shared currency will eventually fail. The problem with that prediction, where I freely admit it is unactionable, is that the ability to kick a can down the road to delay that is practically perpetual. It is totally um, can-kickable as until it isn't. And, and so there, there is some point far out into the future, which we don't believe the euro will exist. But that is very different than saying that I think in the next five days or five weeks or even five months that there will be this major disruption. We don't believe it. And, and, and how that exactly plays out, we, we couldn't say. But I think this reinforces the greater secular theme that we have, that we've been talking about a long time, that actually, if I were being very honest, has become a source of real agitation for me. As time and time again, people will say, well, we're okay with U.S. equity markets, but we're far more bullish and opportunistic in European equity markets because, you know, the U.S. has rallied a lot since the financial crisis and Europe has not rallied nearly as much. So on a valuation basis, Europe is just a lot cheaper than the U.S., but the problem with that theory is it ignores the fact that there might be a really, really good reason why the U.S. is 
far uh, more expensive than Europe, why Europe is much cheaper than the U.S. And that is where the whole idea of pricing risk in comes in. We do not have any interest in telling you that there's a 40% chance or a 32% chance or a 65% chance. We don't know what percentage chance there is that a certain event will end up unfolding. What we, what we have to do is measure what the tail risk itself could be. What actually happens to our clients if Italy leaves the euro or if they build consensus with other countries or if that unraveling that we are forecasting anyways long term begins to happen. And our perspective on that would be that ultimately its unwinding will prove to be a good thing and in fact will probably leave us in a position where it makes sense to, to, um, to delve into European markets. I think this is years down the line, but to the extent that you could find individual countries uh, where the companies in those countries have a real line of sight to the actual macroeconomic landscape that they're functioning in, um, that they get decoupled from these very ineffective structures that, that exist in the, in the European Union now, that there's more decentralized decision-making. I think these will all be opportunities in a new Europe. Uh, right now, all of this it lingers out there as either a short-term, mid-term, or long-term threat that there is a structural instability in the continent. And that's not an irrational fear. It's an absolutely accurate one. It's an unsustainable belief that the peripheral countries will continue to play by the rules of Brussels and of Germany. And one can argue till the cows come home as to who was right, who was wrong. They were all wrong. I can I could walk through that at a whole separate podcast if you ever wanted. But it's not irrelevant right now. It's not. It doesn't matter. What matters is that uh, they have plenty of reason to try to keep it going as long as they can on all sides. Um, to the extent that one country, sooner than maybe we would anticipate, does get up the ability to up and leave. The, the uh, Italians have the most debt in Europe, 2.3 trillion euros in sovereign debt. That is well over 130% of their GDP last year. Um, so it, it, you know, in my, in my mind, I think that there is a, a plausible case to make for why they would want to leave the euro. I don't particularly believe that now is the time that they will do it. The European Central Bank head, Draghi, vehemently opposes it, still holding all these very aggressive monetary tools. And, and Brussels, you know, is in a position at the European Union level to make concessions on Italy's fiscal policy requirements that would probably boil things over and not force a full currency exit. But along the way, just as we saw with Greece and then Greece again and then Greece again and then UK and then Cyprus and there was an incident with with Turkey at one point a little different, but um, all that to say, uh, I think that there is going to be uh, noise, volatility, potential, and we are totally disinterested and totally unworried about it as it pertains to U.S. investing. Um, it, it is a symbol of what it is that we find unattractive, short and midterm, in European investing. And that long term, we do believe the euro experiment needs to go away. And that may not even happen in my lifetime. But at some point, the can kicking will end. This highly overly leveraged society will have to deal with the various things on independent country basis 
that have uh, gotten in the way of their organic growth as a society, um, excessive taxation, excessive regulation, inadequate demographics, inadequate workforce, inadequate productivity, innovation, um, uh, hyper-expensive uh, social benefits. These are all secular themes that are holding Europe back. And no doubt there'll be individual companies that are investable on the way. But from a risk-reward standpoint, we think it makes more sense to stay away. And so then the question becomes, okay, well, we get it. You, you Short-term, you accept this volatility check. Mid-term, you just have these bigger fears about where Europe's going and what they have to do to get on the other side of this kind of secular issue they have, check. And then long-term, there, there could be some movement uh, that causes Europe to look attractive again. In the meantime, whether it be Japan, emerging markets, certainly the U.S., you find other risk assets attractive. The question is, what will be the impact to U.S. markets along the way? And I'm quite convinced that the, the impact is, is decidedly immaterial. There's been significant uh, deleveraging on American balance sheets of financial companies. Their direct exposure to any of these particular countries and their sovereign debt, whatever problems, currency risk and so forth, is minimal as much as possible. People should uh, stay away from those companies that they think have the most direct exposure to whatever the headache may be. To the extent that it represents outflows from the entire stock market, that can't be avoided. To the extent that you know it, it weighs on overall valuation, that can't be avoided. And to the extent that whatever happens negatively in Europe is likely to be positive for the U.S. bond market, a properly asset allocated investor is going to benefit, I think, through a lot of this. So our perspective on Europe I've laid out herein, and our perspective as to how it impacts American investors is such that we think it creates noise, and it's done that many times in the last six, seven, eight years. We'll do it again. But we do not believe the world is ending from it. And in fact, we see a path by which the world could get better from it. But it's not going to be a clean, easy ride. And we're not going to guess on timing. And we're not going to guess on mechanics. There's just too many uh, variables that exist in how something like this could come to an end. But in the meantime, that sort of bottom-up, very specific fundamental value orientation we have in the U.S. is what we're going to play into. That's what we're going to keep buying. And we'll take the volatility that... An Italian election or a European, you know, bureaucrat and so forth represents on the way. That's our advice. That's our insights. Thanks for listening to the Advice and Insights podcast. This is David Bonson. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back at you next week. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. 
Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.